Well, welcome once more, everybody. Welcome everyone who's online watching us, following along worship today. Uh, we're going to take a little look at the prophet Elisha. You probably are familiar with Elijah, right? He's the chariot of fire guy. He's the guy you leave a, you leave a um, seat open for at Passover. And, um, but after he left in a chariot of fire, he was replaced by Elisha. And Elisha was... He was God's prophet. He was a powerful prophet. He was not a nice guy, however. He was uh, very, very big on showing God's power. Uh, there's a story that you probably never studied in Sunday school where Elisha has just taken over as the prophet of the land, and it says three bullies came up, and they came up to him on the road, and they were like, ha ha, baldy. They made fun of him being bald. So Elisha then used his prophet power and summoned three she-bears to come out of the woods and maul them to death. So do, moral of the story, don't bully the prophet. Which is kind of interesting because I'll bet the other prophets, Jeremiah was like, dude, you can summon bears to people? I spent a week sitting in the stocks and then they threw me in the well and you get bear power? It's not fair. But and that's when Elisha goes, life isn't fair. So this is Elisha. He's not your therapist, he's not your buddy, but he's here to show God's power. And he does that very well. He commands respect. Right? And so here's this story. This is the story we get today. This nice long one, thank you for reading all of it, Brian, of this guy named Naaman. And it says he was commander of the armies of the kingdom of Aram. Aram was a big kingdom just west of Israel, but it was huge back at that time, very powerful. And so his position would have been a very, very high up position. Only the king would have been above him. And so he's got all this wealth, he's got all this power, but says he also has leprosy. And again, that term is kind of a generic term in the Bible, but often it referred to skin diseases that look kind of like uh, a little bit like bubonic plague. You would get big pussy sores, and it was really gross. Um, and it could, of course, be very fatal back then. Very ugly stuff. And it's kind of an interesting story because uh, it says that this king, or I'm sorry, that this Naaman, in what used to go raiding Jewish territory, he takes this girl, steals her, uh, drags her into slavery to serve his wife, and so they're sitting at home, apparently, is the scene, and he's complaining about the leprosy, and his wife is complaining that every time you get leprosy, it's the worst time you've ever gotten leprosy, and um, all you do is complain about how, how this is so horrible, leprosy, and, um, you know, and then the slave girl looks over and says, well, you know, there's a prophet in Israel who can fix this. And, um, and so, you know, I imagine Naaman sitting there going, oh, great. You mean the people I just raided? Now I got to go back to them and beg for a cure? Um, you know, because admittedly, the Jewish people got good reason not to like this guy, right? Uh, he'd sack their cities and stuff, and so uh, Naaman uh, decides that he's going to send a letter to the king of Israel asking for permission to go see the prophet. And the king is like, whoa, I, I'm not the one who gets to cure people. You know, what do I get to do with this? But then Elisha overhears it, Apparently, Elisha's hanging out at court and goes, send him my way. I'll take care of him so that I will show 
uh, he said, his exact words are, let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. Elisha looks at this and goes, ah, here's a chance to show God's power. So, a lot of context, a lot of story. Because, but I think it matters because when Naaman then shows up at Elisha's house, it says he had his horses and his chariots. So he's got this big military entourage with him. And they all come marching up and they get to Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't bother to come out to talk to him. He sends his servant girl. I mean, imagine, you know, the secretary of the Navy comes to your house and you send the cleaning lady to talk to him, you know. He might be a little offended. Now, in our system, the Secretary of the Navy can't just cut your head off for being disrespectful. Um, but neither could Naaman, because he's not in Aram anymore. He's in Israel. But it's kind of interesting. So what, what does he do? So Elisha goes and he sends out, he sends out a, sermon to a servant to talk to him. And Naaman has to kind of take it, because Elisha has what he needs. And now Naaman is going to have to kind of humble himself before Elisha if he wants this cure. And Elisha, I think, is, this isn't accidental. Uh, he, this is a bit of a power move. You know, when people do protocol games, right? You know, deliberately coming late to someone is sort of a, a deliberate irritation to prove to them that you can do it. Or sending the second in command to talk as opposed to sending you know, your top command. People, it's kind of a diplomatic protocol game, right? And the way you show, and so you're sort of deliberately disrespecting them to show that you have the power and you can get away with disrespecting them. That's what Elisha is doing here. He's kind of putting Naaman in his place a little bit. And he just, so Elisha never even actually talks to him. And the servant comes out and says, all right, here's what the prophet says. Go to the Jordan, wash seven times, you'll be clean. That's it. That's it. Now, if my body was covered with painful welts uh, and all I had to do was jump in the river, I mean, I'd be jumping in the river, you know? I, I'd be down there right away. I'd be in the Santa Cruz dodging, you know, grocery carts and gas tanks and whatever's floating down there. If it'd cure me of the disease. But, uh, well, you know, it seems like a pretty simple thing. But Naaman gets his feathers ruffled. He gets his feathers ruffled. What? I, I got to go to the Jordan River? Well, first it's, why doesn't he come out himself and talk to me? And then it's like, why do I have to go to the Jordan River? The Abana and the Farpar are such better rivers. Like, really? There's, there's like class status attached to rivers? You know, there's better rivers and worse rivers? I mean, what, what did he go and open up Syria Lifestyle magazine and discover that, you know, Oprah had just bought a ranch on the Farpar? Tom Brady just got a house on the Abana, but the Jordan, oh man, you know. Who goes to the Jordan? I mean, what, what is it? Is that the thing? Better rivers? And, and I know it, sa and it sounds so crazy what Naaman is doing because here he is really sick and he's asking for help and when he gets the help, he quibbles over it and feels snubbed that the help he's getting isn't the right kind of help for him. You know? He's a powerful man. He still wants to keep his class and his status and his expectations. I, and I look at this story with Naaman, and I think, you know, most of us aren't high-powered generals quibbling over protocol, but what Naaman does, he's not the only one who does. 
which is that he turns away God's healing even when God offers it because he doesn't like the terms God gives it to him on. And so he's doing kind of three things here. And he's doing three things that I think we all can fall into. The first one is he's being kind of a snob. I mean, in this case, he's blatantly being a snob, right? But he's in an honor-shame society. He doesn't want to go step down and lose honor, but, I mean, he's being kind of a snob. You know, he's used to being with the best of the best. He's used to being treated that way. And in that moment, his pride and his sense of honor and authority and position is so strong that it's almost overpowering his need to get rid of this disease. You know, and you would think when you were offered a cure for a disease, you wouldn't be worried about being proud. But what do they say about pride, right? Comes before the fall. So here's this guy used to commanding things, and now he's taking orders from some scruffy guy in a hut. Right? But he's not alone in thinking that he's too good to follow God's commands. You know? Because that's the thing. God often commands us to do things and go places that are for our good, but might involve us kind of getting our hands dirty. Because God is not a God of high status. Our God is a God of humility. And Naaman's having to humble himself a little bit. You know? But the cure interferes with that. It was kind of the story that you used to hear and I'm sure it happens a lot uh, all over. Uh, I used to hear it more when I first started out. It would be people who would, they would want to get their kids into a particular school. And to get into that particular school that had this really high rating, you had to get into this particular suburb. And to get into that particular suburb, you had to spend a lot of money on a house. And so to get the lot of money for that house, they had to work long, long hours at some job, right? And so uh, what you would end up with this scenario where the dad is waking up at the crack of dawn, getting on the train, going downtown, working some ungodly number of hours, coming back at 9 o'clock exhausted. And the kids, they go to school all day, and then, when, then they go do one of their 27 traveling teams, and then they would do homework for like five, six hours. That's actually not that uncommon in some places. Five or six hours of homework, they would collapse at night. The dad never sees the kids. The kids never see the dad. The mom, all she does is drive around to make sure the kid gets to all those different things. So what ends up happening? You know, the kids are overstressed, the dad's overstressed, his health is going down, the marriage is falling apart because they're not talking to each other, and the kids are acting out, right? The son's snorting things, and the daughter's getting in trouble, and, and they don't know what to do. What do we do? But they're living in this pressure cooker because they got to get into that school because that school will get us into that college, will get me into that law firm, and they're just pressure, pressure, pressure. And I would want to say, you know, I think I have a cure for it. Sell your house, move into a cheaper suburb and buy a little bitty house. Work fewer hours and sign up for fewer sports and do less homework and where you can, in a school where you can do less homework and, and um, then spend time as a family going to church and doing service projects together. I guarantee you, you'll be better off. And, you know, you'd say something like that, and it would be like talking to, you know, one of those old-school robots when you gave it a command it couldn't understand, like, eh, 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 you know. I'm offering you the cure. You know what the cure is. You don't want the cure. 
You'd, ra you'd rather be sick than be well. Because you're scared, the cure scares you more than the disease. Right? You'd rather be miserable than to downsize. If you truly want to be healed by God and you want God to transform your life, you cannot think of yourself <coughs> as too good. Philippians 2. What does Paul say in Philippians 2, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Regard others as better than yourself. This is the Christian way, right? Humility is the path to the cure. All right, what else is Naaman doing? I'd say number two, he's disrespecting the prophet's spiritual authority. See, Naaman is torn between needing what Elisha has, but not wanting to give him authority and power over him. He's a man in authority. He's used to giving orders, not asking for things, and definitely not taking them. But in this case, he's not the authority. God is, and his prophet Elisha is. Elisha isn't telling Naaman how to run his army, and Naaman isn't, shouldn't be telling Elisha how to be clean and how to follow God. That's what God's job, that's what the prophet's job is. But this is another thing that comes up. Not respecting the authority of the person who's trying to heal you. Right? I, I, I go to the doctor. You know, I had to go to the doctor. Some of you might remember I missed a few weeks back in 2015. If you can remember back that far. Who remembers 2015, man? Um, you know, I, I had double hernia surgery. It was fun and exciting, let me tell you. I had, I, had to get, I had to get put under, you know, I had to get hauled out. Barely, I had to hobble my way to the van. I could barely walk. I sat down on the couch. I made that mistake. Don't ever sit on a soft couch after that surgery. You'll never get up. So I'm having to beg my son, my oldest, Liv, could you get me up off the couch? And he's like, oh, so this is a prelude of what I'll, what's to come. <laughs> I'm like, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. So I had to, have, I had to have my son picking me up. But, you know, look, the doctor is the authority on surgery, not me. So when the doctor says, do this, 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 I do it. And, you know, I don't try to tell the doctor how to do arthroscopic surgery. I wouldn't expect the doctor to tell me what's in the Bible, you know? Now, we can have a discussion about it, but it, and it's humbling to submit to the authority of the expert, but that's the path to growth. It can be humbling to submit to the spiritual authority, be humbling to submit to the authority of the therapist or the teacher, but you don't get better usually, unless you're willing to listen to someone who has some good advice on how to get better. Three, he's wanting God's gifts of healing on his terms. He's wanting God to heal him, but do it in a way that preserves his, his ego and his face, right? He, want, he, want, he wants healing, he wants it his way. And he wants to do it in a way that keeps him where he wants. Yeah, I don't know if you ever watch these TV shows or these sort of like the Dr. Phil and stuff. I, I, I haven't watched one of them for a while, but you always watch how he started. And if you watch enough of them, you see there's a clear pattern he follows every single time. He gets this family on there, this couple, right? And they're having suppose, all these problems, and he puts them on there, each on, on their stool, you know, and he sits in the middle with his notebook, and then, okay, what's the problem? 
and then they start. This one says, well, you know, she did, blah, blah, blah. And then she'll turn around and go, oh, well, but he did that. And then they start talking over each other. But you did this, but you did this, but you did this, but you did this, but you said this. No, I didn't say that, you said that. And then they start bickering, and soon you can't even understand it, and the captioning just turns all garbled because people can't type that fast. And then, and then eventually he, he stops them, and he looks at them and goes, okay, you have a choice here. Do you want to win or do you want to get better? And then they're kind of like, and they kind of grumble. Well, I want to get better, but she really did that. And he's like, do you want to win or do you want to get better? Because what they're doing is they're trying to, they're, they're, they're hoping they can make a case that the other one wronged them and that, and that Dr. Phil will go, yeah, you're right. You, you're a loser. Do what she says. You know? And that never, ever, ever turns out how it, how it works out. It's not like there's no past episodes of this guy to watch. People always go on TV surprised at how he acts when he's got like 20 years of it. But anyways, I love that line. Do you want to win or do you want to get better? Do you want to be right or do you want to get better? You know, you got to choose sometimes. Getting better sometimes means not winning. It sometimes means that I'm healing the relationship without getting an apology for the, all the wrongs that I feel have been done to me. Sometimes it means making sacrifices without everything being righted. Do you want to win or do you want to get better? It's kind of what you, like, you want to say to Naaman. Do you want to be proud? Do you want to be on top or do you want to get better? Well, what ends up happening to Naaman is he actually has a, some good advisors. And the advisor just says, look, if he told you to do something really weird, you'd do it. But now you won't. And so he's kind of like, rah, 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 rah. so he does it, and he gets better, and he goes home, praise God, moral of the story, right? Have good advisors. But God's burden, he says, is not hard. Jesus says, my burden is light. I think the burden often in God's words isn't that what God is saying, is that it's what it requires us to give up and accept in order to, in order to accept that grace, in order to follow in that, in order to be healed. The burden's on us that what we're not willing to give up. That's the burden. Not as much what God asks, because God wants us to be healed when we can take away the barriers in ourselves. Amen.